0: You are now tuned into Virtually I'm Possible presents Lazy Learning Land podcast, where we teach teachers how to be lazier, yet more effective to increase student performance, but decrease teacher burnout and stress. I'm S.Dot, your hostess that always gives you the mostest while doing the least, also known as the queen of working and not working with over 15 years of experience in teaching inside of the hood classrooms. And still I thrive. Today's episode is sponsored by Virtually I'm Possible's, a teacher's guide blog, which can be found on virtuallyimpossible.net, no apostrophe. This is where educators can enter the lazical world of lazy learning land and There, they can find five teacher laws on how to be a lazier, more effective teacher, classroom management tips, and also other blog posts on general teacher topics. Now for today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm so glad you tuned in for today's show. We are going to cover the rules to rule playing games in small groups. Let's jump right into it. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Y'all, it seems like it does not matter what teaching model you decide that you want to implement in your classroom or what strategies you prefer. Collaboration is just this overarching theme that you really can't get rid of. There's really no way to avoid collaborate, collaboration if you're trying to be an effective teacher and Much like many things in education, collaboration sounds good. It sounds amazing in theory, (laughs) but in practice, collaboration could actually turn out to be a total and utter complete disaster. Majority of teachers lack the classroom management structures and skills to implement collaboration without chaos. So, yes, they have their kids working together. But if you've ever just walked into a beginning band classroom and the kids are just freshly learning how to play their instruments, it just sounds like this big clash and clutter of sound. That's like the imagery I get in a classroom that's trying to use collaboration, but has a lack of actual structures and tools. So what I want to do for you all today is just like break this thing on down. To me, there are just four things that you really must make sure that you have in place when you're trying to use collaboration in your classroom. And if you can lock in on these four things, it will just help your use of collaboration while you're playing games and just trying to make learning more engaging for your students run so much more smoothly And keep you from growing extra gray hairs. Because we all know teachers get gray hairs from their students. But y'all, like I am so in love with collaboration that I have built two of my five lazy teacher laws on it. And that would be law number one, believe in a culture of child labor. And law number three, teach your students to fish not just give them a fish. So with that being said, I'm gonna pass on these four tips to you guys as the rule to rule playing games in small groups, AKA Collaboration Nation. Let's roll right into the first one. So the first tip I got for you guys is solid instructions. Like just imagine this, it is the night, oh, let me use my voice. Twas the night before you use your activity with your students. You have been envisioning how great things are going to go, how much the students will be engaged and how much they will be learning. Now, fast forward to the next day in class and you're actually doing this thing. and mm, Little to nothing seems to be going right. Or maybe some things are going well, but like other things just isn't gelling it's not clicking for your students they just can't seem to get certain aspects of your game right in your mind you're thinking like what in the heck happened like I know I planned this out to a T in my head <laughs> you start questioning yourself and honestly y'all the answer to this really is that not enough happened If it's not clicking and it's not running smoothly, there's some missing pieces, some missing components to how you presented this to your to your class. So you see the the rules to rule playing games in small groups requires solid instructions, not just solid, but solid and thorough and repeated instructions There are, you know, kind of two types of instructions that you'll roll with with your students. It'll be the game instructions and then there's the academic portion of the game instructions. And so I'm going to tap into both of these for you guys because it's important to make sure that your students know how to play the game itself. But also, equally important for your students to understand what is expected of them academically because please believe me if they can skip all the questions and problems that you've built into the game and just only play the game they would do it so you have to hold them accountable for both parts the game instructions and the academic instructions but in order for you to dot every I cross every T you really need to be explicit with everything Firstly, how to play the game that you are actually using. Be sure your instructions are written and posted as a visual for the students to look at. You can stand at the front of the class and verbally tell these kids this. You can give the kids the handout or post the instructions on the slide and tell them to read it. But if you're not using both verbal and visual cues for your students, like you're just working, you're going to end up working harder in the long run. Using one without the other may be easier for you in terms of the setup. But most of your students are not going to fully understand. They're not going to really comprehend what your actual expectations for them are, which means there's going to be tons of misunderstanding lines getting crossed while you're actually trying to implement the game during that instructional time. So what I have found to be super helpful is if you just reiterate the academic portions of how to play. Like mainly I'm referring to what do you expect your students to be doing? What do you expect your students to be hearing when it pertains to the academic components of the game? So you wanna make it a habit of telling your students, I want to see ABC XYZ. I expect to hear ABC XYZ." nothing less these are my expectations and after after this has been truly emphasized your expectations have been emphasized and reiterated then it will just help your students to to know what is truly expected of them some other academic instructions that you may want to ponder on and already have answers to so that you can give these instructions to your students is what is expected of them when they are working on a question or a problem what should they be doing what should they be saying how will they submit their answer to you what happens if they get the question incorrect what happens if they get the question correct are they supposed to copy any information into their personal notebooks? What are they? Are they supposed to write it on the worksheet you gave them? If so, if they are supposed to be recording the correct work, the correct answers, the correct explanations, when do you expect that to take place? And what part of the game process are they supposed to be doing that? I mean, you really got to spell it out for them again using both verbal and written format, because you've got different learning styles in your class. And so if you just talk at them, you're going to lose half your class. If you tell them to read it, you're going to lose half your class. So at least if you're doing a combination of both, you're going to catch majority of your students. I mean, I would love to say 100% of your students are going to know, but no, because you definitely have those kids that are zone out central. So, (laughs) but you'll have majority of your kids locked in. Check this out. Now, after I have stood up there and I have gone over the instructions for the game and the academic expectations. Now, before I just allow them to start, I like to do what's called instruction comprehension checks. This is the last part that you need in order to have solid instructions when you're playing games in small groups. You got to give these comprehension checks before you allow before you release the class to actually start playing. And what I mean by this y'all is ask them, what should they be doing at various parts of the activity? Like for instance, how do they select the question to answer? How are they supposed to submit their answer to you? What does their team do if they get it incorrect? Who gets to move their game piece? When do you write in your notebook? What should you be writing in your notebook? So on and so forth. So, You're asking them these questions so that when they get to these different checkpoints in the game, you have given them that comprehension check to where they know what they should be doing next. These comprehension checks are lifesavers. And when you do this, it helps to solidify that the majority of your students understand what you expect of them. The really great part about this is even though 100 percent of your students won't know what to do by doing these comprehension checks, you are increasing the odds that some other student inside of the group will be able to answer a question for that child that was not paying full and complete attention while you were going over all of this. So the next tip is to give every student a role, give every student a job, give every student some responsibility. I wholeheartedly believe that most kids don't like working in groups. And it's just a little bit more than that. This generation is just in love with technology and their phones and don't really know how to communicate with a human being. But. Just like most of our students don't like group projects, many adults don't even like working in groups. And to me, the common complaint that I hear is that someone always seems to not pull their own weight. For this particular reason, I keep my groups anywhere between two to four students. I mean, if I could really make it groups of three, I love groups of three. But if I have to get a group of four or groups of four, I will. But I don't tend to go past four Uh, You know, if you do more than four, it allows for kids to fall back in the shadows and kind of and kind of hide and ride the coattails of the other kids actually doing work. But if I keep my groups between two and four students, then I'm able to give every single child in that group at least one role. And the smaller the groups are, you may have a kid that or two that has to double up on a role. But everybody has something that they are responsible for bringing to the table. And this helps to increase individual buy-in for these collaboration groups. Each student gets a chance to feel important. And when they feel important and they feel like they belong, they're less likely to try to fall back into the shadows because they feel like my team needs me. I'm important. I matter. And whether you believe it or not, that's important to keep these kids locked in when you're doing collaboration games and like small group stuff. Because let me tell you, Once a student gets the idea that they can slip into the shadows undetected, nine times out of 10, they are going to take it. So individual rule, excuse me, individual roles really does help to prevent that. Mainly because if the role that they are responsible for bringing to the table is not being fulfilled, you as the teacher or their peers inside of their group will notice. And it's going to be the call out show. Somebody going to call them out whether it's you or their group members. So it lessens their ability to be able to hide and not bring something and not contribute to the group. Since I've just talked so highly about these different roles or giving your each student in the group a role, let's talk about some types of roles that I suggest. These are roles that I use kind of interchangeably. Some are kind of staple no matter my activity or game. But these are some of my most common roles and you can adjust, you can add or subtract roles based off of the needs of your game activity and just your classroom culture and setup. First and foremost is the team leader. The team leader is responsible for making sure that all group members are on task, they're on topic, they're only talking to the people inside of their groups. The team leader just makes sure that they are on it. I try to tell my students, hey, be careful about who you choose to be the team leader. Don't pick somebody that does not seem to does not seem to show leadership qualities normally on a day to day basis, because then you guys may end up having to lead the leader. But. I still allow my students to pick who's going to do what job for the most part. And sometimes they just have to live with the poor choices they make because I tell them once you lock in on those jobs, you can't switch because you guys have the opportunity to make a more sound decision on who did what job. The next job would be materials manager. This student is responsible for gathering the different game materials at the beginning, making sure that their group is actually using them properly during. Like, if we're doing dry erase boards, people should not be coloring on my desk with a dry erase marker. People should not be coloring, writing on their paper with my dry erase marker. If we, you know, have a computer out they should not be on an inappropriate website that I did not say we needed for the activity that type of stuff they are also responsible that at the end when we are cleaning up the materials managers the person that puts back the materials make sure everything is accounted for and that's their role next you have the communicator now this is the only person from the group that is allowed to raise their hand and communicates any concerns or questions that their particular group may have And for other activities, they are the person that brings me their whiteboard. So I teach math. If my students are solving problems off the whiteboard, the communicator is the one that actually brings their whiteboard to me to ask, hey, are we on the right track or can you check our answer? You know, the communicator is basically acting like a liaison between myself and their group. They are responsible for taking back any feedback and they have to have the capacity to listen to my feedback and take it back to their group members and regurgitate it to them so they know how to fix their work if I gave them hints. So it it really does help to build that communicators like listening and communication skills because I have to be able to listen, process and regurgitate it back out. Next up on my list is the writer. This student is the one that is responsible for writing on the whiteboard for their group. If we're doing whiteboards, they are the person that is the, they are the only person I should say that is allowed to write on the whiteboard for their group. This particular one is usually. A role that I designate the particular student myself, most other jobs they can fight over and decide amongst the group. But when it comes down to the writer, that's usually I'll take a look at who's in what group and then I will make my actual determination of if I have to designate a writer or if it's okay for them to pick the writer themselves. And the reason why I tend to designate the writer is because the writer is usually that one student that zones out that one student that may be the struggler, the one student that may be the one that's prone to shutting down, the one student that doesn't always typically know what's going on because they're less engaged, or they're the student that if you give them a chance to, they will sit and do nothing. There may be times I have more than one student that is like that in the group. And I'll say, okay, you and you, you guys will alternate. Every time you gonna switch questions, you guys are going to switch roles. So one time you're going to be the writer. Then the next time they're going to be the writer. What I absolutely make sure that I avoid though, is I avoid allowing my stronger students to be the writers. And that's because the stronger students, they really want to play the game too. So they're like, I know this already. So, okay, do this, do this, do this, do that. Okay, this is the answer. Go take it up to her. And then the writers, then the stronger students, the only person doing the work, which puts the other kids in the group at a deficit. So I allow the least strong student to be the writer. And that way they cannot, the group cannot leave this kid behind. They are dependent on the least strong student in order to be able to progress in the game. So I create that system of checks and balance by setting it up this way i also encourage you that when you're dealing with your strong students i turn them into philosophers and i do have a post on philosophers if you go to my lazy law number three which is teaching your students to think student philosophers i go over that in grave detail and you can see how you can train your strong students to be in essence, miniature teachers um, and properly groom them to that. So just go check uh, that out. That would be lazy law number three. So you can get more details on student philosophers. Another role I utilize would be the timekeeper. If we are doing an activity where they only get a certain amount of time to answer each question, then the timekeeper is there to keep their group informed on how much time they have left before they are required to submit their answer. I mean, that one's pretty self-explanatory. The next one would be the game master. Depending on the type of activity that I use, this particular student gets to come up to my smart board, roll the dice, spin the spinner, pick a card, move their game piece, etc., So they're the one that's actually in charge of moving their team through the game play of the actual game part. They will also be the one to type, click and navigate the device if we are using a laptop and we have like a digital activity going on. Next is my technology specialist. And if it's an activity that requires students to use a laptop and stuff like they are responsible for pulling up the website, pulling up any digital tools that are required for the game. They are also the one that would type, click and navigate. So sometimes the technology specialist and the game master can be interchangeable. I kind of switch up the name based on the type of activity that they're doing. The game master is one that usually comes more to the smart board because I'm playing like a digital version of a board game with them off the smart board. Whereas the technology specialist is more, we're sitting in a small group and we're all using this t- one tablet or we're all using this one laptop. All right. Tip number three, keep a focus on academics. The, the rationale behind Making learning fun by playing games in small groups is, in essence, to trick your students into learning. To have them so focused on the aspect of the game that they are willing to try any question you put in front of them. Allow your students to focus on the game component. Let your kids be kids while you, as the teacher, keep your focus on the academic component. The students' access to the game portion should be directly tied to Either them trying a question within a certain time frame showing their answer if it's incorrect then they correct it in their notebooks when you guys go over it and if it is correct then they have one opportunity to do ABC XYZ inside of the actual game the other academic focus could be on them trying a problem repeatedly so when my students are working on whiteboards they can they gotta keep bringing that up to me until they finally get the thumbs up and once they finally get it correct i have them to copy the correct process in their notebook before they get to move on to the game portion hey you (laughs) did you happen to notice the common theme in those two academic focuses that I just share it with you. All right, there you go. See, at some point, your students should be should be trying the problem or question. And the other part is they should be correcting their answer and their work for that problem or question. Those two components have to be present. Trying and correcting must come before your students are able to participate in the gameplay portion emphasize your academic expectations to your students what you expect to see what you expect to hear as your groups are working collaboratively all gas no break don't let your foot up off of their necks they don't get to play and have fun until the academic portion has been done my last tip before i let you guys get out of here is monitor and redirect The last of the rules to rule collaboration in small groups is to monitor and redirect. When it comes to monitoring, you will need to monitor for compliance of your rules and procedures and procedures as well as monitor in order to give academic feedback. So when you hear certain things, when you see certain things, when they're stuck on certain misconceptions, like so you're monitoring for two parts, you're monitoring for compliance of rules and procedures, but you're also doing academic monitoring because when you hear things that are not correct or the kids are dealing with misconceptions, you want to be in a space to be able to redirect them in the more appropriate direction. As you are doing these types of monitoring, when you encounter a student or even an entire group that is out of compliance with the rule or procedure, you need to stop, drop, and redirect them. Save yourself some energy when it comes down to this redirection, though, because you could sit there and you'll be repeating the same rules that you already spent the first five minutes of class going over. You'll be repeating them all period long if you don't. Try to save yourself some energy and redirect them in a way that requires them to come to their own conclusion. So how I redirect my students is I ask them a set of questions regarding the expectations and the procedures that I already covered with them. And by deductive reasoning, they are able to come up with their own conclusion on what they should be doing in that moment or what they were doing incorrectly in that moment totally a game changer because it provides a greater level of accountability on them. But it keeps me from feeling like I'm a dang on broken record because I know I said it. I said it. I wrote it. I wrote it again. I said it again. So. Avoid the broken record syndrome. And hold them accountable. Let them come to the conclusion themselves. So, y'all, just to bring this thing on home and wrap it up. In today's classroom, if you want to be an effective teacher, you must incorporate collaboration. Can't avoid it. In order to keep your students engaged and willing to try whatever you're going to put in front of them to take the risk out of learning, you will need to incorporate playing games in small groups. The idea of collaboration can be it can be a fantasy when you think about how many wonderful ways you can get your students to work together. But, and there is a great big fat juicy but, but y'all, b-u-t, If you are not properly prepared or you do not properly prepare your students for collaboration, then it is going to be a total, utter, and complete disaster. I told y'all this at the beginning. Please explicitly state your instructions, both verbally and written, in order to combat this. Each of your students needs a sense of buy-in and belonging. Make sure you're using those student roles to ensure that everyone in the group has a way to positively contribute. Everybody has a sense of belonging. Everyone is needed. No child left behind. Allow your students to focus on having fun. Let them focus. Let the kids have fun. But you as the teacher, keep your focus on the academic side. You make sure that your students don't lose sight of the academic piece. Make sure that you are not skipping over the academic component in the midst of your students having fun. So you got to stay focused on the academic thing. Redirecting your students is going to be inevitable when you're playing games because they just get so excited. And like they I don't know, you all just something just happens to them and some they lose part of their brain cells. When they get to playing games, but they're so engaged, they just sometimes get engaged in doing the wrong thing. So while you're monitoring, you will surely, you're definitely going to see and hear some things that need to be addressed. Make sure that you're addressing it. Don't let it slip, don't sweep it under the rug. But help your students to self-correct. When you have rules that are solid, your collaboration dreams can now become a whole reality. And there's really almost nothing that you won't be able to do in your classroom. With your students and if you all are looking for any secondary math games that can help your students play collaboratively check out i have a digital tic-tac-toe series that covers a myriad of topics you can find that on the Virtually impossible Teacher Pay Teachers store. Um, that's Virtually I'm Possible with no apostrophe. I do digital tic-tac-toe games for multiple topics. They are ways that your students can play and engage with each other. They don't really need you because there are answer slides with the problems already worked out for them. So they can correct, they can self-correct as they play. And they really and truly don't need you. You're just out there monitoring and relaxing. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Virtually Impossible Presents Lazy Learning Land. Comment below your thoughts on how to play games in small groups. Which one of these tips was a aha moment for you, or which one of these tips are you already a rock star on? Since there is strength in lazy, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, my blog on virtuallyimpossible.net. No apostrophe. And follow us on our social media platforms, Pinterest and Instagram. Find us on Instagram at virtually underscore I'm underscore possible. No apostrophe in the I'm. Join our social media communities so that you can feel at home, among other lazy learners. This is your girl S. Dot signing off. And until next episode, remember to live long and lazy and never, ever work too hard.